morning, everyone. Welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you uh, chose to hang out with us this morning. And I'm really excited. On Halloween, we are going to have a really cool outreach called Trunk or Treat. And what this is going to be is you can get your vehicle and divorce, uh, I never say it correctly, but the attorney office across the way, uh, DeVore Varan, uh, has given us their parking lot, and we will put cars around there, and we will have a trunk or tree outreach for our community. Now, the way that uh, you'll do this, and you might want to cut my mic for a second because I'm going to cross this for a second. Hopefully there's some feedback. The way you do this is very simple. You buy a bag of candy. You get in your car. You drive to that parking lot. You park your car. You open up your trunk. You put the candy in the back. And then when little kids come by, you go, would you like a piece of candy? And you give that to them. Okay, was that... Do you get that, or do I need to go through that again? You buy the bag of candy. You drive your car to that place across the street. You open your trunk. You put the candy in the trunk. You pass it out, and you don't pass out, hopefully. But from 5 to 7 on Halloween, we're going to do that. So far, we have eight cars. Now, we have room for 30 more cars. So if you can come just for a couple hours, it would be a great way for us to reach out to our community. We've invited uh, the school that we partner with uh, in the community to bring their kids, so I hope that you will do that. You can sign up for that either on the app, uh, or you can also sign up at the resource table, and we would encourage you to do that. So are some of you in? Maybe a couple cars from here? All right. I hope you will do that. Hopefully it will get better in this second. We'll wait and see. All right. Well, hey, let's, uh, we're starting a brand new series today called I Doubt It. And before we jump into it, um, let's go ahead and uh, let's pray. Well, God, we really do want to hear from you today. And each person here has doubts and questions. We all do, God. And things that happen in our life that sometimes we have a very difficult time fully understanding. God, it challenges our faith, and so we need to hear from you. And so, God, would you speak to us today? In fact, I, I, I guess my prayer, more than any words that I would speak, because not a single word that I would say would even come close to people hearing from you, and so I pray, God, that you would speak to each person's heart, open their heart, change their lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin this morning by looking at some questions. But I need you to pretend for a second that you're not in church, okay? So you're not in church. You can't go to sleep, though, okay? You're not in church, and you're by yourself, alone, and maybe you're in a dark room or you're laying on your bed and you're looking up at the ceiling and it's all dark. And all of a sudden, while you're there by yourself, you begin to start pondering some really, really big questions. 
Questions like, does God exist? Is there life after death? Or do we all just kind of get blown out like candles after we die? Is the universe an accident? Or was it created by a God for a reason? Will all of us one day be held morally accountable for our choices and the decisions that we've made in this life? Will justice finally prevail? Or is there this existence, just one long string of events, and then there's this unknown end at all of it? Is the Bible a reliable, authoritative guidebook for our life, or is it something that has been proved away by science and logic and math? If there is a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why are there so many people that are hurting? And why is it that sometimes when I pray, my prayers aren't answered. Do any of you ever think about questions like this? I do. And I'm not talking about, you know, in church when you have to have the right answers or when you're around certain church people and you're like, oh, I can't say that I have a doubt. I'd really have to just kind of toe the company line. But when you're all alone in the middle of a very dark Time, maybe, in your life. Does it ever come to you, some of these questions, some of these doubts that you wonder about? Just wondering, is all this thing that I've been thinking about with God and faith, is it even true? You know, there are many folks who say that faith doesn't make any sense whatsoever. There's a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins who was trained in Oxford and he wrote this best-selling book called The God Delusion and he begins this whole book with this phrase. He says that this book works as I intend. Religious leaders who open it will be atheists by the time that they put it down. And then to gives some sense of his tone, I want to read a quote for you. He says, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Remember that word there, fiction. Jealousy and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, cruel control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, uh, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megamaniacal, and I'll stop right there because then it gets really bad. But there's a, there's a book out there that many, many people are reading. It's a bestseller. People are reading. There's another book by Christopher Hitchens called God is not great, how religion poisons everything. And 
you can just imagine where that book is headed. And these are just a couple examples, folks, but there are, there are tons and tons of books that are out there, and it's impacting many people's lives. But this is the thing that I've found, that people that write books like this are not the only people who have doubts and who question things of God. But it's all of us. Every single one of us in this place, we have questions. We have doubts. All people, at one time or another, begin to start doubting the things that are around. And they'll often use this phrase, I doubt it. What? I, I doubt it. They want to believe, but they doubt Someone prays for an alcoholic father for 20 years, but he never changes. Someone prays for a sister who's battling mental illness, but one day she commits suicide and takes her life. Someone that I was sharing with just this week was talking about how they feel like many times they're just living in a darkness and God is not present and God actually feels more like a stranger than a friend. The person prays, but they just don't think they're good enough for God to actually hear them because they have such little faith. So over the next five weeks, what we're going to do is we are going head on with what it means to have doubts and what it means to have faith. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to question? What does it mean to struggle? What does it mean to wrestle with some of the things in our lives? How honest can we be with our doubts? And how can we grow in our faith? And doing this along the way, what we're going to do, folks, is we are going to ask some really big questions. And I want to strongly encourage you that if you've never invited that friend or co-worker or neighbor who you know is searching, who you know is seeking, who you know asks you some questions that sometimes you can't answer yourself, that I would strongly encourage you to invite them to this series. One of the ways you can do that is actually to go onto our Facebook page and to give Uh, or, or share with them our jar commercial that we made for this series. You can do that by going to our Facebook page. You go up to the top of it. There's a commercial that says Faith and Doubt. You can click on that button, and then you can share it with anyone that you want to, privately or on your own page. And I want to be sensitive that maybe some people are here today because they saw the title, and honestly, you're searching and you're seeking about things of God, about things of faith, and you're not so sure. And I want you to know that you are in a safe place because we want to be very honest with both our doubts and with what faith looks like. And I hope that all of us, as we go through this series, that what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to share our doubts and not feel like we're less of a person. And we're going to look at some deep questions honestly and allow God then to work and change our lives. 
Now, each of you should have received a card in your program. It looks just like this. And I'd like you to pull this out. If you don't have one, raise your hand because everyone's going to need this um, by the end. So just raise your hand. We'll get that to you. But at the top of it, it simply says, I doubt it. I doubt it. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you, this isn't getting turned in. Don't put your name in this. Um, We're not taking it for ourselves. We don't want to know who asked the question. But what we'd like you to do is write down one particular doubt or one question that has maybe affected your faith, that gets in the way of your faith. And when we're all done, we're going to put them all in that box back there and We're going to try to use some of these. You won't get answers, so don't think that you're going to get an answer from me. But we're going to use some of these over the next few weeks to be able to inform ourselves on what are some of the big doubts that we've had uh, that go on in our life. And so you can do this during the teaching. Uh, So when things get a little bit more slow in the teaching, and you know, you've been here long enough, sometimes things get slow when I'm teaching. So just pull that out. And you can write down whatever question that you have or doubt that you have. Or if you're like, I don't want to do that, you can put it on the JAR app. And uh, we have a section there that you can do that as well. But it will help inform us. Again, you're not going to get answers to these questions, but I think it will inform us as we learn together. Now, for the rest of our time, what I want us to do is simply look at some observations about doubt. And here's the very first observation about doubt. Doubt is a part of the human condition. This is your first fill-in, and doubt is a part of the human condition. There is no such thing, folks, as a doubt-free life. Part of what it means to be a human being, part of what it means to be a person with a limited IQ, is that There is no escape from doubt when it comes to decisions that you have to make in your life. For example, when I first got married, there was no doubt-free guarantee that I made the right choice. Now, I liked Jennifer a lot. I loved her. I thought it was the right choice. I knew I was marrying up because she told me I was marrying up. In fact, she told me that all men marry up, and I tend to agree with that. But folks, there's still no guarantee. When we moved here to Muncie and we started a church in our home with six people, and uh, this weekend, this weekend, folks, we, we turned 12 years old, okay? So we're 12 years old. So next year, we turn 13. means pimples are coming for a lot of you, okay? Just don't get rebellious on me, all right? But when we first started with six people, there was no guarantee that it would ever get beyond what it was. And there were a lot of doubts. And as we went through and as the church grew, there were more and more doubts. And even now, as we average 366 people, I still have doubts about Are we going the right way? God, is this what you want? There are doubts that come. The reality is, folks, we live in a condition of doubt. And doubt has a lot of causes. Sometimes they can be biological. People who struggle with things from their past creates doubts. 
If you're going through a depression, it creates doubts. If you're going through some anxiety, it creates some doubt. If there is some unresolved sin in your life that you keep on doing, I don't want to believe it in certain things. But partly doubt is an inescapable feature of being a human being. If you want a doubt-free existence, folks, if you want no doubts in your life, you are born into the wrong species because there's going to be doubt. And that's why in the Bible, in a very small little book of the Bible, later on, you can read it this whole week. It's only one chapter. It's in the book of Jude. Jude was Jesus' brother. Jesus uh, was the greatest teacher ever known. Jude lived with him, understood him. And Jude gives us these words, and I'd like us to read them out loud together. Let's read this out loud all in one voice. Be merciful to those who doubt. Isn't that such a gracious statement? Be merciful to those who doubt. Now, why did Jude say this? Because all of us have doubts. And he says, when you have doubts, or when people around you have doubts, don't be judgmental. Be merciful. You have doubts. I have doubts. Everyone has doubts in life. And if you wait until you finally get all of your doubts resolved, folks, you will never commit to anything. You will never take a job. You will never get married. You will never have a child. You will never uh, try something new. You will never find a friend. You will never follow God. Because doubt is a part of the human condition. Next observation. Every human being lives by faith. Everyone, no matter who it is, every human being lives by faith. Now, I say this because sometimes people have another idea and they'll say something like this. I wish I could have faith. I know some people do, but it's just too hard for me. And behind this whole concept is that there are some people who are rational and logical and they know what can be proved, and some people live there, and then there are some people who live by faith. And folks, I'm telling you that that idea that there are some people that are rational and logical and they understand things, and other people, though, are weak-minded and they have faith. It's just not true. It's just not true. Every human being lives by faith. For example, last week our family went on vacation, and while we were on vacation we went to a state park. And on this particular day at the state park, it was gorgeous. The sun was shining, the birds were singing, it was just this beautiful day. The fragrance of fall was all around us. And my youngest daughter, Shiloh, comes up and she takes hold of my hand and we start walking down this path together. And the sun is warming my body and my lungs are filled with air and I feel fit and everything's going well and we're walking down this path and it's wonderful. And neither one of us are even talking, which for a seven-year-old, it's hard. But we're just listening to everything around us. And it's like this amazing walk that she and I are taking. And 
all of a sudden, I have this thought in my head. It is good to be alive. It's just good to be alive. In that moment, nothing else mattered. It was just good to be alive. Now, what I want you to do right now is to think, how are you going to prove that statement? How do you prove the statement, it is good to be alive? Folks, if you wait for scientists and mathematicians and other people to finally prove that particular phrase, you will wait until your dying day because it will never be proved. It is what you might call is simply a basic conviction. Something that we have in our lives, even though we may not be able to come up with a logical reason why. It's like the belief that children should receive lavish love or that all people are created equally. They cannot be proven scientifically or logically. But these are what I believe are good reasons that can be held to be true. They aren't some emotional state It is not a preference. It's not like the difference between, hey, I like chocolate ice cream over vanilla ice cream. And part of the reason why I believe so much in the Christian faith is that the writers in Scripture tell us what that reason is. That when creation came into existence and God was at work and God was speaking and he saw and it was so, In verse 31, the 31st verse in Genesis chapter 1, this is what God says, or this is what the scripture says. God saw all that he had made, and it was very, what's it say? What was it? Not just good, but he said it was very good. Now, creation has been marred by sin since the beginning of time, since the fall. That is. Writers of Scripture, they teach us this. But there are moments in our life, folks, in which we just think to ourselves, this is good. It's good to be alive. That's why I think when God was creating on that particular day, He's like, I'm on my A game today. I've got this. I'm on a roll. Folks, the conviction of Uh, of life, that life is good, that phrase, life is good, is not some survival instinct. It is not a genetic programming. It is not some emotional state. It is tied to things of life that we believe are true. So there's one possibility there that someone created things and it was very good, but there's another possibility as well. It's an alternative possibility, and that is this, that All things are meaningless. All things are meaningless. Bertrand Russell, a very smart guy, a philosopher, he said this, We are just little lumps of carbon that will dissolve. Now, is it just me or is that a little depressing? Is that a little depressing to people? We're just little lumps of carbon that eventually dissolve. I mean, can you imagine at your funeral someone stands up and they say, a little lump of carbon crawled around this earth and then died. Goodbye, little carbon. See ya. That's it. But Bertrand Russell, maybe he's right. 
Because he's a very, very smart guy, much smarter than me. And maybe the universe is just an accident. And it really doesn't matter whether I'm kind to my wife or I beat my wife. If I'm kind to my kids and I show love to them or I beat my kids. Maybe that's the reality. More recently, there's a guy by the name of Steven Pinker who is in this same flow of thinking, who's a professor uh, of psychology at Harvard. And he wrote a, a piece on Time magazine, you can check it out yourself, about human consciousness. And the whole idea was that we actually have a mind, not just a brain. And it's a fascinating article. And Peter's position, and part of the reason why I'm talking about this today, folks, is because we live in a stream, a tidal wave of thought that goes against this idea of God. Against this idea of faith or spirituality or something that is unknown. It runs totally against it. And if we don't think about this, then we can actually can't understand what we do believe in God. So this is not about being smart or academic or, or those kind of things. But what is it when it comes to the, the end of your day and you're sitting there and you're thinking, what do you actually believe about God? And so Pinker says this, there is no such thing as a you. All there is, is atoms. All there is, is this stuff. And what we call you is nothing more than a series of brain states, just neurons firing. He writes, there is no executive you at the core of your life. The notion of a you is just an illusion. But the problem with this position that we have, folks, is that no one can live it out. It is impossible to live this out. Nobody does. Steven Pinker, what he does is he writes books saying that there is no Steven Pinker. But this is what is interesting to me. Somebody keeps signing Steven Pinker's checks. They keep signing his checks. So here is this position that you can't know anything. And that line of thinking is called skepticism. There's an old story uh, of a philosophy class in which uh, one particular day a uh, professor brings up a a chair uh, and When he brings up this chair, he brings it in front of the class. And Bertrand Russell, Steven Pinker, all of them fall in this line of camp. They have made a foundation that this is their thinking. And so what happened was, is that the professor comes and he takes this chair and he puts it right in the middle of the class. And then he turns to his class and he says, Now, today I want you to know there is only one question on the final exam. Just one question on this final exam. And all the students are like, yes, just one question, man. We're going to be out here. We're going to be partying soon. We're out. He said, this is the question. Can you prove that this chair exists? And pretty soon what you find is that there are all of these students and they're writing all of these long essays and essays. And finally, another kid just comes up and he's just 
written one sentence. Watch hair. And that kid gets the A in the class. You see, folks, skeptics think it is impossible that a chair exists, but skeptics sit down, don't they? Now, some of you are going to, you'll figure that out later on, okay? If anyone got that right, then you'll laugh at lunch, okay? Skeptics believe it's impossible that the chair exists, but I don't know a skeptic in my life who's ever stood standing their entire life. Again, some of you, maybe I shouldn't use that in the second one. I don't know. All right. Now, the writer of Hebrews says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, that's a true statement. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But for our purposes today, I would go on a little bit further and even say this. Without faith, it is possible to please anybody. Without faith, it is impossible to please anyone. Try making a friend without faith and trust being proved in that relationship. Try being a parent or pleasing a parent without faith and trust logically being proved. Try getting married without faith. Try having children without trying to learn some trust. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, yes. But without faith, it is impossible to please anyone. Without faith, it is impossible to actually live. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, says this, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith, that's true. But you know what's also true? The unrighteous will live by faith. It's just a different kind of faith. Folks, there is no such thing as a no-faith person. It just doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a no-faith person. And so we struggle with faith. We struggle with doubts. And many times we're like, I doubt it. I just doubt it. Now to try to prime the pump a little bit, what I'd like you to do right now is thinking about that question. What is the one question that I doubt or the one question that I have? What is that? And what I'd like you to do is turn to the person beside you. If you could get any answer, except for the fact that the Cubs might win the, you know, the World Series. Okay, we don't know that yet. But what's one question you could ask that you've never had answered before? So turn to the person beside you. Ask them the question. They won't judge you. But if you could have one thing answered, what would that be? Okay? So go ahead. Take some time. Ask the person beside you. What's the, what's the question that you have that you'd like to be answered? I'm going to give you 20 seconds here. Okay, well, what I want to encourage you to do is to write down that question or put it on the app. And then, like I said, when you leave, just put that in there. And if you want to learn a little bit more about 
what we're talking about, and you want some discussion. You actually want to hear some other people, what their thoughts are. I'd strongly encourage you, get a part of a small group during these next five weeks. They start this week. You can pick any of them that you want. There will be discussions that will be a part of this particular series. We're having a, a small group campaign called Daring Faith. You can learn about faith, doubt, be a part of those questions. You can sign up at the small groups table. You can sign up on your JAR app. But if you're like, you know what, I have some doubts uh, that, I would, that I'd like to be able to share and to do it in a uh, setting that is safe, then be a part of one of our small groups. But folks, I want you to know that everyone, even the atheist, lives by faith. And that leads me to my next observation, and it's this. As long as you have faith, you will have doubts. As long as you have faith, you will have doubts. Now, I want to illustrate this for a second. How many of you believe right now that I have a $20 bill in my hand? Does anyone believe that? Does anyone believe? Do we have a person? Okay, Mike Kaler, you were the first person. Mike, if you could come this way just a little bit. You don't have to stand up here, but I won't cross this speaker that way. Now, Mike, you were the only person that raised their hand. Everybody else just sat here and didn't raise their hand. Now, Mike, uh, you can uh, tell me why do you believe that I have a $20 bill in my hand? Because if you do, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to take my wife out to lunch. Okay, I don't know if you heard that, but he said, if you do, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to take my wife out to lunch. Well, Mike, I'm going to ruin your faith right now, because I do have a $20 bill that's right here. But you have to stand there just for a second. Um, I just destroyed his faith. Because now he actually knows that I have one. He has knowledge to know that. And the reason I'm going to destroy it is because once you know something, once you know something, you don't need faith anymore. Because you already know it. Faith is only required when we have doubts. When we do not know for sure, then faith comes in and we actually know it then, then we don't need faith anymore. I say this because so many people, so many, many people will come up to me and they'll say something like this, I can't become a Christian yet because I still doubt. I still have doubts. And I'm not sure. But see, as long as there are doubts, as long as there is uncertainty, that's the only time that faith is needed. Because when your doubts are gone, you don't need faith. When your doubts are gone, you have knowledge now. You don't need faith. This is exactly what Paul was saying when he makes this point. He says this, Now we see, in other words, this is a knowing word, now I see it, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Now we have confusion, now we have misunderstanding, doubts, questions. Then we shall see face to face. 
Now I know in part with questions, with doubts, but one day I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, Mike, you had faith. And the Bible says that we should reward people that have faith. So you get this $20 bill, okay? Let's all give him a hand here, okay? Now, how many of you would say that I have a $100 bill in my other hand? How many believe that right now? Oh, yeah, the hands are going up everywhere now, right? Sometimes it's important to doubt, folks. Sometimes, sometimes. Okay, this leads to the next observation. Doubt can lead to a stronger faith. Doubt can lead to a stronger day, a stronger faith. There is a purpose to our doubts. And it is to lead us to a stronger faith. Sometimes people with doubt become overwhelmed by guilty feelings. They feel like I'm not a very good Christian if I have doubts. And sometimes what happens is people try to deal with their doubts by trying to repress them. They try to push them down. They try to say, well, it's not really there. And folks, when we push down our doubts and we refuse to engage in them because we think that the doubts are somehow going to destroy our faith, then what we're really saying deep down inside is, I don't believe that Jesus is right even if I don't fully understand everything. And folks, it's impossible to trust Jesus if way down deep inside you don't believe that he was right. I mean, I want you to know this right now. Whatever doubts that you have, God is big enough to deal with those. Jesus is not worried about your eternal soul because if you have some doubts. He desires that you come to him honestly, though, with his doubts rather than hiding them. And then allow him to share with you some truth. Because the reality is that Jesus did speak quite a bit about truth. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. You see, according to Jesus, it is not you having to make a choice between Jesus on one side and truth on the other side. Jesus said that when you search for truth, you will find him. And there is no other way that you can trust Jesus than to work it out and think and question and struggle and ponder and wrestle with many things until you come to see that he actually really is true. Now, Christianity, the church, and all that may have a lot of things that are untrue or they're untruths. But the one who started all, Jesus himself, is truth. And the purpose of our doubt is to motivate us through those things. Last observation. When certainty is impossible, faithfulness is still an option. When uncertain or when certainty is impossible, faithfulness is still on the table. Can any of you think of any doubters in the Bible? 
Anybody know any doubters? I mean, there's like, yeah, exactly. There, there are tons of doubters. Uh, one time I was trying to figure out for myself, like, what, um, how can I remember, like, the main characteristic of each of the disciples? And so I started thinking about uh, this particular group of people. I think we have a slide. The seven dwarfs. And have you ever noticed that the seven dwarfs, they have a name attached to each one of them? Like there's happy, there's grumpy, there's, you know, more and more. And so I started thinking about, well, you have Peter, who's the impulsive one. John, the beloved disciple. Judas, who was a traitor. And one of the disciples was actually known for doubt. And some of you said it, but, but who was it? Who was the one known for doubt? His name was Thomas. Doubting Thomas. And next week, we're going to focus solely on his life and where he went from doubt to faith and the journey that he had. But this is what you have to realize, folks. Thomas is not the only doubter in the Bible. Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, all of Jesus' family and friends thought he was crazy and out of whack. All the disciples actually ran away. Folks, there's a lot of doubters in the Bible. And God doesn't give up on anyone who has doubts. God never asked people to manufacture certainty. He asked them to be faithful with what they know. And that's what God is saying today. It's okay for you to have doubts. It's okay for you not to be certain in all things. He wants you to simply be faithful in what you know. This weekend, for me, was a crazy weekend. On Friday, I was at the office and I get a phone call from the hospital. And a couple in our life, or a couple that's in our life, in our church life, they were pregnant, looking forward to having a child, and... The baby was born, and the baby died. And all of a sudden, you start thinking about doubts that hit my head. It happened right in that moment. And here's this couple, great couple, been coming the last four or five months. And I'm thinking, I can't put my mind around this. Yesterday, I get an email from another couple. That particular couple had a baby on the very same day. That baby is healthy, well, they're going home from the hospital today. And folks, sometimes when I have things like that, I have doubts. Like, why does something like that happen? But you see, folks, maybe what's important to God is not for me having the comfort of certainty, of knowing exactly why certain things happen and why that is. But maybe what is most important to God is not the certainty, but to be faithful in what I already know. That I know that God doesn't cause little babies to die. I know that God loves us even in the midst of loss. That I know that God never walks away from us even in the midst of our pain. And maybe if I'm willing to be faithful in that, 
He is willing to actually use me, even though I have doubts about why. Why did this happen? I think, honestly, though, we're no different than the disciples. The disciples, for three years, walked with Jesus. They saw him crucified. They saw him resurrected. And the disciples find themselves on the top of a mountain after they've been with him for over 40 days. And they're at the top of this mountain. And one final time, they're going to be with them, even though they don't understand that. And then he's going to ascend back to heaven in physical form. And one of the disciples, a guy by the name of Matthew, writes these words. It'll come up on the side screen. Then the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, what's it say? What's it say? I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen that before. I mean, these were the guys who walked with him for three years. They saw him. They knew him. They studied with him. They were able to watch him be crucified. They saw him resurrected from the dead, standing in front of them, not just for a day or two days, but over 40 days There, and the last thing it says about them was, and some of them, what? Doubted. And Matthew doesn't try to cover it up. He actually brings it to the light. That's why, to me, Scripture is true. Because if you were writing a story about a group of people that were going to start the church, you didn't want them to be known as a whole bunch of doubters. There's this guy by the name of Dale Bruner. He writes this quote. He says this, The Christian faith is bipolar. Disciples live their life between worship and doubt, trusting and questioning. Worrying and hoping. And Jesus looks at these worshiping doubters, and this is what he says. You go. I know you don't have it all together, but you go and spread my message. You risk your lives for me. You change your lives for me. And you will find that as you go, your own doubts will be healed. All doubters are included. The disciples are not people that never doubted. The disciples were people that even after they had all the evidence, it tells us that many of them still had doubts. They doubt and they worship. They doubt and they serve. They doubt and they help each other in their doubts. And we want to be the type of community that can help people to come regardless of where they're at on the spiritual spectrum with their doubts. And that if they open their hearts, they can receive the same gifts 
that Jesus gave to the disciples. Even though you doubt, I'm for you, I'm with you, and I'm sending you out to go. And that's what we're going to do in this series. So I'm going to invite us to stand for closing prayer. And when you leave today, I hope that many of you really will uh, just kind of turn your card in, whatever your doubt is, whatever your question is. You can do it in the box right there. And uh, when you leave, you're going to get a little invitation card that looks like this. And I would strongly encourage you to actually get that card. It'll be at the door. People will pass them out to you. But to get that and then actually invite someone. Because these are the questions, these are the searching things that we have. And we want to be able to help people to know how to process through that. So let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are bigger than our doubts. That regardless of what we put on the card, regardless of what our doubt is, regardless of what our big question is, that you're okay with us to have those. And help us, God, to know how to trust you, even in our doubts. And to know that there is nothing we can do to make you love us less or to make you love us more. You love us as is. God, I pray in this series that we would be honest with our doubts and that you would help us to increase our faith. That regardless of where we're at on the spiritual spectrum, doubts and all, that we will open our hearts up to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.